All right. Good morning and welcome back. Uh, Happy New Year. Merry Christmas for those who celebrate or don't. I hope your end of year 2021, beginning of year 2022 was pleasant and peaceful and fulfilling. Today, continuing at last, the Nisargadat Maharaj series, uh, episode 29, today, Thursday, January 6, 2022, for those who are outside the uh, cycle. Uh, <clears throat> last time we ended in the mid-120s of the 200 passages from the page innerquest.org, Nisargadat, a great Maharashtrian yani knower. I want to backtrack a little and start on 125, even though we discussed this a few times, and very briefly, I think it's one of the best uh, passages of the 200 here, into the question of ontology, meaning the nature of being, meaning the nature of this, um, the, the nature of identity and true self, right? So we know that identity is a mentally composited um, phenomenon. And so identity being dropped, leaving the level of Atman in accord with the raw material, um, going from 6th to 7th density. uh, It's a temporary phenomenon, identity, because it's mentally fashioned, or conceptually fashioned, or based on perception. Perception is limited and dualistic. And ultimately, dualistic means limited or relative. I mean, there is relativity when there's uh, dualism, subjectivism, subjectivity. Subjectivity giving rise to subject-object dualism based, therefore, or experience based on perception. Uh, That is the basis of uh, identity, and that's the mental construction concept, perception-based, fashioned, sankara-based, ahamkara, the aham that's karamed, or made by intellectual, mental, by perception and conception and memory. Uh, That's finished uh, as we uh, get on to the final, the last bridge. The last bridge leaves the octave, goes from six to eight. And in passage 125, Nisargadat basically comments on the deconstruction of ahamkara, the result of aham vichara. <clears throat> so aham vichara, self-inquiry or I inquiry, um, discovers the nature of the aham, and then transcends it, and that transcends any composited, um, carmed or fashioned, made um, sense of identity. 125. Nisargadat said, even the sense of I am is composed of pure light, and the sense of being the I is there even without the am. So is the pure light there, whether you say I or not. Become aware of that pure light and you'll never lose it. The beingness in being, the awareness in consciousness, the interest in every experience that's not describable, yet perfectly accessible, for there is nothing else. So, um, the basis, you know, the nature of all energy is light, as Ross said, intelligent energy, love light, light love, capital L, giving rise to the seven rays, or the seven 
frequencies of light, seven colors, seven chakras, seven seals. And <clears throat> that sense of I am, while its nature is light, um, needs to be deconstructed or will be with greater freedom and insight. So as Yana progresses, there's a recognition from, you know, that goes from I am this and I am that to I am. And then the am is dropped, meaning the definition of the I, defining I ends. And so then there's I. Meanwhile, <laughs> whether you say I or not, pure light is still there or the basis is still, you know, pure light. Pure light goes to I, and I goes to I am, and I am goes to I am this and I am that, and I am not this, not the other thing. And so reversing that, um, I am this and I am that goes to I am, I am goes to I, I is dropped. And so light is there whether you say I or not. And so that's the difference between... um, Atman and Paramatman. Atman knows I am, or I is. Ra said, we become light. I is light. Uh, Paramatman doesn't play with I anymore, and is simply in uh, Satchit. And Satchit, you know, reality, awareness, is where he's coming from saying awareness and consciousness. So consciousness is the coalesced awareness. And being uh, is a coalescence of beingness. There's a sense of being, or their beingness is a sense of being. But we take it to be substantive being. Um, In I, there is a sense of I am. But actually, that's a coalescence. So, um, release the stricture. (laughs) Uh, Drop kalpana concept. And beyond I am this, I am that, beyond I am is I. Beyond that is light. Beyond that is the source of light. That's back to Paramatman. So this phrase also, interest in every experience is not describable. I think better than the term interest is probably presence. The interest is what? It's a uh, attentiveness. This is, you know... The translator, if the translator is not at the level of the speaker, there's a problem. And translators are never at the level of the speaker, where there are, you know, awakened speakers. So awakened speakers never have awakened translators, <laughs> nearly never. So no translator, uh, maybe, maybe you know, voice of the self, <laughs> the translator was quite awakened and very heavily overshadowed by Nityananda from a higher level. But in general, uh, translators degrade... Uh, awaken speakers' words when doing translation. So, the best, the word interest in every experience is not, uh, I'm interested, but it's the basis of interest, which I think is attentiveness or attention, um, which is akin to presence. So, anyway, it's perfectly accessible. There is nothing else. Everything else is uh, maya or anichanatadoka. Uh, impermanent, insubstantial, and stressful. 126. Having never left the house, you're asking for a way home. Get rid of wrong ideas, that's all. 
Collecting right ideas will take you nowhere. Just cease imagining. <clears throat> and this is sort of the sledgehammer approach. And you you know you 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 can't just act like Jesus to be Jesus. What would Jesus do? Well, you just do what Yeshua did. You don't become Yeshua. You get closer, maybe, and maybe not, depending on all sorts of things. If there's a desire, Ross saying, you know, the proper role for the entity in third density is to experience all things desired. That approach is useful sometimes. And in other cases, one is, it's more useful to just see it, see through it, or one can see through it, and, and naturally it falls away. You don't even need to drop it when you see through it or see it's empty to see, you know, it's sonya. <laughs> it isn't. It seems to be, but it isn't, meaning a process of mind or a desire. And then naturally it falls away without much effort even. On the other hand, sometimes following a desire is needed to later drop the desire. Likewise, uh, you, you people apply misapply this kind of a heavy-handed teaching all the time. Get rid of wrong ideas, that's all. Stop my thinking. Just don't do it. It doesn't work. In many cases, it leads to suppression. <clears throat> it, it's, uh, it takes longer, but it's, I think, safer to take a look into your wrong ideas and see that that's, you know, that's uh, yana yoga, is to look into your wrong ideas and see that they're wrong, <laughs> see that they're empty, and that, that even right ideas are empty. And so that's where he says, collecting right ideas take you nowhere. Well, no, actually. If you're collecting them, yes. If you're using them, no. And so the very subtle point here may well be that right ideas, when collected, when one has the attitude of, um, you know, accumulation, <laughs> acquisitiveness, and wishes to collect ideas, then one says stuck in the intellect. Yes, of course. But it can also be that right ideas take us beyond uh, any need for ideation. And that goes to Satchit. And so right ideas can take you home, but collection keeps you stuck. Okay. Uh, never having left the house, you're asking for the way home. Uh, what we seek is what I is. What I is, is light and the source of light. What we seek is what is the, the nature of the one that's speaking anyway. Just seek imagining. Just end your sankara. Okay. <laughs> uh, you can't just do it that way. You can't just cease imagining. You have to dissolve the restlessness and the agitation and the deep mind that gives rise to imagining. The roots of persistent imagining must be ended or dissolved. 127, the main thing is to be free of negative emotions, desire, fear, etc. The six enemies, quote, of the mind. Once the mind is free of them, the rest will come easily. Just like a cloth kept in clean water will become clean, so will the mind get purified in the stream of pure feeling. This is not emotional feeling. When you sit quiet and watch yourself, all kinds of things may come to the surface. Do nothing about them. As they have come, so will they go by themselves. All that matters is mindfulness. Total awareness of oneself, or rather, of one's mind. Be oneself, 
I mean the person which alone is objectively observable. This, this be oneself. <clears throat> He's saying, what, be yourself? Yes, but that doesn't mean attachment to thinking, feeling. The observer is beyond observation. You know you are the ultimate observer by direct insight, not by a logical process based on observation. Critical point. The self, capital S, the self is known as being. The not-self is known as transient. But in reality, all is in the mind. The observed, observation, and observer are mental constructs. The self alone is. Actually, you see, when he says the self alone is, since from 125, we understand that the process, that the final the, the, the final working of the yana yoga marga, yana yoga path, is to deconstruct even the I. Then after the I is deconstructed and one um, is aware of pure light, there is no self there. That's the self. But that isn't a, a, an identity self. It's true nature. And so there is a problem, I think, and that's why Gautama never said this. Gautama would would wag his finger. And so, uh, saying self-self all the time when the nature of uh, identity is such it uh, leads some people to get stuck. Uh, to say at the top of 127, the main thing is to be free of negative emotions, six enemies. The six enemies are a useful teaching in um, in the the uh, Advaita Vedanta system or understanding praxis, path, uh, overall. It's very much associated with Shila, meaning uh, right action, right speech, right livelihood in Buddhism gets rid of, uh, progressively weakens the six, these six enemies. The six are here, they're called Arishtavarga, Arishtadvarga, Arishtadvarga. Uh, six enemies of mind from the Wikipedia page, which is just fine enough. Kama, Kroda, Loba, Mada, Moha, and Matsarya. So, Kama, desire, like Kamaloka, desire. Kroda, anger. There again, there are different terms for all of them. Loba, greed. Um, greed and and desire are very similar. You see, <laughs> sometimes Kama and Loba are, are interchanged. In Buddhism, this is a Hindu or Vedantic uh, formulation. A Buddhist is different. Meanwhile, the, the so-called negative emotions are the same. Mada, arrogance. Moha, delusion, common also translated as ignorance. And matsarya, uh, jealousy. The one that's critical actually is mada, arrogance. And mada, mada, um is a very interesting matter. Um, Mada is actually the same, has the same root as the intoxicating liquor called mud. There was was some kind of liquor, some kind of fermented rice wine or something, grain, in the old world called mud. I think that, or mard, mud, rard. Different groups had that similar word. And it means getting drunk drunkenness. And so the term mod as arrogance 
is pride, stubborn-mindedness. It's basically vanity, pride, arrogance. And, and pride, arrogance is a form of intoxication. It's the intoxication of identity. <laughs> identity itself is an intoxicant, is intoxicating, is, is, this, is a result of drunkenness, spiritual drunkenness. It, it's it's <laughs> logoic drunkenness coalesces into um, Atman. <laughs> yeah. The sub-sub-logos, sub-sub-logoi, as solar logoi, in the octave, in the forms of light vibrating, coalesce into identity or ahamkara, hmm. or vijnana consciousness, subjectivist consciousness, eighth fetter. <clears throat> and that the eighth fetter itself is also called conceit. And so this conceit is not I'm great, it's I. And that I am is an intoxicant, is an intoxicating delusion. And so the conceit of identity, <laughs> the arrogance of presuming separative identity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you can see how distorted, you know, sub six density conditions are that even six density this sense of we become light comes out of uh, Madda. Madda. And that, that is um, the conceit of coalescing light into um, mind-made identity, subjectivity. Just that coalescence is itself uh, an intoxicant, uh, intoxicated process or the result of intoxication. Very interesting. <clears throat> and so, intoxicator. Mada's name means the intoxicator. There's a gigantic rakshasa called Mada. So, Hindu mythology, a lot of mythology, came out of is a personification or anthropomorphization of mind states. Much anthropology or or mythology anthropomorphizes, personalizes, personifies mind states: the gods and the goddesses, the demons and the uh, devas commonly um, are um, in certain mythologies, or many, uh, personifications, making into a people, anthropomorphizing, humanizing, people-making forces of mind, tendencies. And tendencies of mind, like anger, or jealousy, or pride, or, uh, you know, desire, whatever, these themselves are qualifications of energy states. Uh, to qualify energy, we call them consciousness. A consciousness is the qualification of energy, and energy is the coalesce is is, is essentially light. <laughs> and mythology is commonly um, a, a narrative of personified mind states or tendencies. In any case, <laughs> Mada runs the show because uh, above um, any kind of craving, clinging, is the eighth fetter. And on the way home, going from six to eight on the last bridge, uh, one drops identity. Of course, the Yanni realizes his own death, it seems to me. So uh, this approach <clears throat> is very much of uh, Vairagya. When you sit quiet and watch yourself, all sorts of things come to the surface. Yep, absolutely. That's called distortion leavings in the raw material. (coughs) Do nothing about them. 
meaning um, resist ye not evil. Don't resist, don't grasp, right? Neither grasping nor aversion. That's, that's the heart of uh, sati, mindfulness, is the training of mind to be free of the tendencies of grasping and aversion. Grasping means making something big of it, making something of it. And aversion is a minimization or suppression or avoidance or denial. Uh, making or unmaking are both forms of making. Doing or um, reje- rejecting <clears throat> are both forms of attachment. And so rather than get further attached, I mean, you know, easier said than done. <clears throat> because all sorts of things come to the surface, right? <laughs> That's the um, qualifications of the lower triad energy blockages coming into mind states, into conscious mind, in meditation. Do nothing about them. They've come, they'll go, right? So if you're that free, you can see through it. And if you're not, you've got to see it through, as Ray Vespi said. And so... All that matters is sati or mindfulness, total awareness of oneself rather or rather of one's mind. <clears throat> you know, eventually one realizes that there is no se- there is no uh, separative mind. The doctrine of no mind, because uh, identity itself is a is a, a false or an empty coalescence of such it. <clears throat> and so, the observers beyond observation. Beautiful quote or the statement, you know, the one that observes can't be observed because one can't get outside the one that observes. The one that observes is the one. The one that observes ultimately is the one that generated light. So what's observed is light. What observes is the one that made light. And so the one that made light as intelligent infinity, true nature. Right? Who who is Paramatman? Who is Harry Crumb? Who is Paramatman? <clears throat> well, the maker of light. You know, let there be light. Before the word, there's the one that voiced the word, Vok. Who made the word? <clears throat> well, one infinite creator, the source of all. So, uh, the self is known as being, the not-self is known as transient, and that, that again, you know, <clears throat> sometimes he's talking about Atman, the awareness, Jivatman, as self. And sometimes he's talking about the freedom from that or going from six to eight. 128. A man who seeks realization, Yana, <clears throat> is not addicted to desires. He's a seeker who goes against desire, not with it. A general longing for liberation is only the beginning. To find the proper means and use them is the next step. The seeker has only one goal in mind, to find his own true being. Of all desires, it's the most ambitious, for nothing and nobody can satisfy it. The seeker and the sought are one and the search alone matters. Very beautiful passage. So, the key is... um, uh, the strength of the desire to seek the light. And there was some passage in the raw material, which I couldn't find again, sort of equating the strength of the light with the strength of the will to seek the light. And so the strength of the will to seek light is to seek uh, true nature, to seek freedom, 
So it's really, I mean, I'm not seeking light. I'm seeking freedom. <laughs> I don't know anything about light <clears throat> other than uh, turning on the lights and turning off the lights. But I know about freedom and bondage and dukkha, and that's where Gautama started, right? Noble truth number one, the truth of dukkha. Very practical, very reasonable, <laughs> very grounded uh, in phenomenological uh reality uh experiential uh, our experience of reality of life or phenomena uh, all experience is grounded in dukkha which is the dissatisfaction which is dissatisfaction even sukha is sukha dukkha because it ain't forever and you can't even hold it so certainly not in kamaloka rupa loka neither can you hold it forever or become bliss it's not ananda bliss is um you know <laughs> uh the joy of freedom but uh whenever there's a change even in joy or happiness and pleasure there is a taste of dukkha or dissatisfaction or stress it's stressful to lose joy it's stressful to lose pleasure and so the one that seeks realization has some knowing that only radical freedom fulfills. There may be, I mean, I still have desires. I can say I'm addicted to them. Or maybe, I don't know. I like some desire. There's still some happiness to some fulfillment of desire. And the bitter taste of dukkha, the bitter aftertaste of dukkha, which is that it's Sisyphean, old Sisyphus, rolling the hill, the rock up the hill, and down it goes. You roll it up, it comes down. You roll it up, and down it goes. That's the misery of uh, Kamaloka, which you can call Dukkaloka, because it's endless Kama. And when you achieve objects of your desire, there's temporary Sukha, satisfaction, well-being. Then those mind states change. The body pleasures change or degrade, or the mind states of happiness, fulfillment, degrade. And then the rock is rolled back down the hill, and it's time to roll it back up again by fresh desire and the effort to uh, fulfill those desires. That's it. At a certain point, the whole thing becomes uh, hateful, odious. I hate this. And that's uh, Bairagya. And yet, you know, getting stuck in hate is a problem, or the the hateful, the, the hateful yogi is a problem. <laughs> Don't be a hateful yogi. It's very common, but, you know, Shiva destroys not by hate, but by... Um, realization of of sunya so the seeker goes against desire uh, not by hate or at best not by hate if you go against desire by hate you're making more desire actually you're making more bondage Uh, the very high feel no desire (laughs) though those that are free of the arising of desire but until that happens, we have to meet desire with love wisdom and then decide whether we wish to pursue or not, knowing that even when pursued, acquired, experienced, um, fulfilled, we feel some sukkah, but it's temporary and um, empty and impermanent or insubstantial. Fine. Okay? You still One still stays with it or has... entertains desire until one's finished or really sick of entertaining desire. General longing for liberation is only a beginning 
Um, this is basic awareness of dukkha and the recognition that uh, it could be possible to be out of this dukkha. That's called liberation. But then, if we really want to be permanently out of dukkha, permanently finished with rolling rocks up hills, uh, and, and even temporarily or increasingly free of dukkha, free of uh, desire that in, at best goes to sukkha dukkha, um, one must find proper means technique, you know, dharana, uh, darshan, or, you know, I guess it's dharana, practice. There's a word that means concentration, and there's a word that means practice. I confuse them in Sanskrit. I'm not sure. Dharana. Well, anyway, there's, somebody will helpfully correct me. But we need technique, and that's proper technique, meaning there's some technique that's not proper. It doesn't go to the summit. Now, there's technique that goes halfway up the mountain or roads that go halfway up the mountain that are useful, but don't pretend to make sure that you know they don't go all the way to the summit. If you can, then you have to use them. So you have to find the road, then you have to walk it. The seeker, the purest of seekers, in parentheses, has only one goal, to find his own true being. For radical, I mean, you know, the, the Buddhist seekers are not looking necessarily, the Mahayana may think of, I'm seeking my own true being. The Theravadins don't talk this way. They're seeking complete and perfect enlightenment, which just happens to be complete and perfect liberation, moksha as well. And then can be said to be finding one's own true being. But at that point, there's no one own, and there's no more being either. So, Paramatman is not a matter of, is not owned by anyone. It's not one's own or anyone's own. Identity is long gone. Nor is it being. Beingness, the beingness in being is gone too. Right? I am, I am a being. I am a consciousness being. Well, that's finished. When identity is finished. And then there's no ownership or subjectivity to own or not own which he knows you know again he's not talking the summit summit every moment and um you know he's got experience and so he can talk quite freely of all desires yeah it's the most ambitious nobody and nothing can satisfy it this is a very important comment for some people that the more we burn um for complete and perfect mukti liberation, freedom, joy, you know, the joy that doesn't end, the deathless, the deathless uh, non-dual sukha. It's not even a sukha dukkha sukha. It's basically satchit ananda, or the ananda of satchit, the bliss. And it's not a smiley, dancing off the walls, bug bunny, bugs bunny bliss either, although I respect bugs bunny very much. It's not um, smiley bliss. And it's not necessarily, I mean, you know, you look at these guys in trance, they're in, in you know, they're, they're dissolved. But it's not, it's not a vibratory bliss. Ananda is not vibratory. <laughs> All right? So it's trans-vibratory Ananda, if you know what I mean. But on the way <laughs> to that, um, nobody and nothing can satisfy us, and that... For some people who have tasted awakening, have had stages of awakening, and know that every desire at best leads to sukkha dukkha, every sukkha is sukkha dukkha, um, 
one is really <laughs> sad <laughs> that actually nobody and nothing can uh, suffice to put out my dukkha except deathlessness and uh, complete and perfect enlightenment, mukti, moksha, you know, return to paramatman. Nothing will suffice. Yes, <laughs> that's oh. Mm. So even if one has desires and plays them out, <clears throat> um, I'm playing in the lowlands till I'm finished. Um, there is this knowing, which is bittersweet. Nothing and no one can satisfy me. It's very true. <laughs> I'm very familiar with this, and uh, so be it. But but there are states of um, sixth density satisfaction that are pretty darn nice. By the way, the seeker and the sought are one. The search alone matters, right? So what you're seeking is what you are, of course. One twenty nine to be free from thoughts itself is meditation. You begin by letting thoughts flow and watching them. The very observation slows down the mind until it stops altogether. Once the mind is quiet, keep it quiet. Don't get bored with peace. Be in it. Go deeper into it. This is a a technique, guidance on technique. Um, To be free from thoughts um, without uh, tree stump samadhi. There is something in Zen called tree stump samadhi. The apparent thoughtlessness or freedom from thoughts of a stone or a rock or a tree stump, an animal, uh, hit me on the head with a plank of wood, I'll be, tr- I'll be thoughtless also. That's not meditation. That's uh, insensation, insensate. And so <clears throat> it's to be aware, to, to, to be present, to, where attention and is atten- attention is present. Uh, attentiveness is present, mind is quiet, uh, or free from thought. That's definitely meditation, <laughs> no doubt. Uh, now here, the details of technique, you begin by letting thoughts flow. Well, you can't stop thoughts flowing. You can interrupt them, or you can try to interrupt them and suppress them. You can <clears throat> pretend they aren't. You can get caught in them and flow and and make stories deliberately, willfully. I personally don't think that sitting in meditation, uh, watching thoughts, is uh, that. That's not the technique that I've used. I would watch the breath, object of concentration, being a breath or something. But certainly. If you watch thoughts, you will find generally you will be latching on and then willfully elaborating thinking. <clears throat> that That is a problem. That doesn't lead to silence of mind in a steady state. Now it can, I guess. So he's saying by this technique, which is using thought itself, the free flow, free flow of thought as the object of concentration. I think that that's just too hot and um, one will get burned by getting lost in thought. The very observation slows down mind till it stops altogether. That is certainly the goal of any object of concentration, so that the mind slows down. <clears throat> the proliferation of sankharas decreases. The volume, the signal, the noise, the intensity, 
the frequency, the quantity, quality of um, naturally arising sankara decreases. That's the point. That's called quiet mind or slowing down the mind or stopping the mind. It's not the mind. I mean, what the hell is the mind anyway? It's the production of sankara. And, and so that means the production of um, perception as well. Sanya. So sanya decreases. Perception decreases. Conception, sankara decreases. Fabrications, fermentations, fashionings, thinking, feeling, imagining, memory, imaging, visioning, dreaming, intuition. All that slows down to a stop. Then, <clears throat> once the mind's quiet, keep it quiet. Well, I, I don't know, you know, only the best, highest of the yogis keep it quiet without control. They don't need to control, it stays quiet. That's called the mind inclining toward Nibban. So the mind that inclines toward Nibban <clears throat> is the mind that has uh, sufficiently cut the roots or dissolved the roots of uh, Sankharic arising. The, the thinking, feeling doesn't arise because uh, the agitation of the deep mind is uh, quelled or stilled to such a degree it just doesn't happen. That comes by concentration, by long practice in concentration, meaning an object of concentration like breath or whatever it may be. And then the mind is real quiet, naturally, without control and playing games. And one would never get bored with that, actually, because (laughs) the endorphins are running and one's in a jhana. So that's, the, you know, <clears throat> ask Joseph and Jack. Um, they're not bored in Samadhi. And so that's because <laughs> the endorphins are running around and <clears throat> um, one is in a jhana. And the fourth jhana, third jhana and up is very all very pleasurable. So no one gets bored in jhana. Uh, if there's bored, you're not in jhana. <laughs> that's the point. When you're bored, you're not yet in the higher jhanas or at least... Uh, probably not even in third. So when you're bored, uh, you're not where you won't be bored. And when you're in higher jhanas, three up, I would imagine, there's no more boredom for sure. <laughs> so don't worry about it. 130. What your thoughts and watch... It's not what your thoughts. It's watch your thoughts and watch yourself watching the thoughts. The state of freedom from all thoughts will happen suddenly, and by the bliss of it, you shall recognize it. <clears throat> and that bliss is similar to the pleasure of jhana, for sure. Watch your thoughts, watch your thoughts, and watch your thoughts. I think it is a typo here. Watch your thoughts and watch yourself watching the thoughts. Now, if you can do that, you'll probably very quickly have a quiet mind. But normally, people are just thinking about their thinking and thinking about themselves, thinking about their thought, thinking about themselves, watching their thinking. This leads to, this can short-circuit the thinking, um, or hyper-potentize the thinking. <laughs> Some intellectual types will be uh, heavily, it's like uh, putting fuel on the fire. <clears throat> this technique might, for the, the uh, monkey-minded, uh, the intellectuals, the people who say, um, 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 and they blink a lot. <laughs> These folks may find fuel upon the fire of attachment to uh, high den- high intensity or high density proliferation of sankara thinking feeling by watching thoughts then watching oneself watching thoughts 
or one can short circuit that that monkey mindedness. State of freedom from all thoughts happens suddenly. Yeah, it does come. You you can't control it. You say that's the point. You can't think your way to thoughtlessness. You can't control your control your way to non-control. Freedom is non-controlling. There's no need to control. Um, you can't control your way to freedom. You can't think your way to thoughtlessness. But you can concentrate attention your way to non-proliferation or thoughtlessness or silence of mind in a steady state. And then the happiness is the jhanas. And that's the bliss associated with um, silence of mind in a steady state or samadhi. And you recognize it. And then insight comes. So long sitting in jhana, fourth jhana really, will go to vipassana as Webusaya Daw uh, implied. 131. Your expectation of something unique and dramatic, of some wonderful explosion, is merely hindering and delaying your self-realization. You are not to expect an explosion, for the explosion has already happened at the moment when you were born, when you realized yourself as the being-knowing feeling, or as, as being-knowing and feeling or as being, knowing feeling. That's an interesting phrase. There's only one mistake you're making. You take the inner for the outer, and the outer for the inner. What is in you, take to be, what is in you, what is in, you take to be outside you, and what is outside, you take to be in you. So, mistake of the inner and the outer, uh, mistake of the field and the agent, and so, let me explain that by the first portion that leads to it. So, there's no doubt that, that when one has experienced jhana, when one has had insights, when one has had penetration and success and fruit in samadhi, not just got samadhi, but had fruit in samadhi, some kind of uh, awakening or some kind of insights, something that is a breakthrough, one wants it every time one sits. And the big the big guys got all they want already. But the little guys, <laughs> like me, uh, would like something wonderful, amazing every time we sit down. Sure, why not? Uh, I don't expect it, but yes, I indeed like it. And that is totally a hindrance, without a doubt. It's a matter of how much we're attached to the wanting of the... Um, meditative fireworks, the paranormal breakthroughs uh, of one sort or another. There are countless sorts. These are kriyas, commonly. So, expecting expecting is a problem. I don't expect it, but I like it. And But the more one wants it, the more one will be frustrated not having it, and then one will be stuck in the frustration and not even move to jhana. That's a problem. So, don't expect it. Um, you can honestly want it. If you want it, you want it. Be honest if you want it. I want it. I like it. I like it all the time. I like more and more. Okay? But I know that that's not to be expected. Uh, and I know that the more I'm focused on the wanting and the not having, the more I'm stuck in frustration. So, <laughs> one goes back to the breath after one realizes all that. Anyway. Go back to the breath. Go back to your object of concentration. Clearly, wanting enlightenment 
in a certain way, one will never get it. One has to forget the wanting, of course. And forgetting about, uh, and, and expectation is just uh, self-deception. Because it's, se- it's mistaken to expect what you don't know will occur. <laughs> I hope for it, but I don't know it will occur, so I expect it. That's not right. That's, that's fo- folly. How can I expect what I'm not sure will occur? It may, it may not. That's truth. So I expect that it may or may not. I expect that I don't know. But I like it, I want it all the time, more and more. Yeah, okay. Now what? Well, if I stay there, I'll go to frustration and then aversion and um, be sour, sour-minded. So go back to the object of concentration, whatever it is. And then you can realize that whole drama is empty too. Uh, don't expect your, an explosion, he's saying. <laughs> the explosion happened when you were born, when you realize yourself as being, knowing, feeling. This is a not a typo. Um, probably doesn't even need any additional vo- words. Being, knowing, feeling. You realize yourself as being, knowing, feeling. What is this, what is the being we believe ourselves to be? Well, it's a being of knowing feeling, right? Mind and body. So being, knowing feeling is spirit, mind, body. One way of saying it. Spirit as being, mind, knowing, feeling of body. The body does form and feeling, form and sensation. The first two skandhas are a feeling, uh, perception, um, and sankara are of knowing, and Vijnana, fifth skanda, is of being, even though Vijnana is not the end of the line. That's consciousness, separative consciousness, that needs to be dropped or mm, released in favor of the uh, essential awareness uh, from which it arises. Time check. Okay, just take a couple more, because we're starting late here. 132. Oh, and what is inside you, outside you? Uh, taking the inner for the outer, um, and the outer for the inner. Uh, he's saying that that uh, when you think that your soul, or you when you think that what you're seeking, you don't have. <laughs> you're taking the inner for the outer. The inner is na- true nature not realizing that you cannot be but your true nature is a form of taking the inner for the outer. So I'm not sure exactly what he means, but taking the inner for the outer is taking true nature, can be understood as taking true nature as an object. There's me in my mind. Well, there's true nature. And if you think that that's a thing, you won't be it. You won't return to it, or you won't fully fuse or merge or fully realize it. If you if you think that, you know, what you're seeking is outside, you're taking the inside as the outside. Taking the outer for the inner um, is some sense, well, I'm not really quite sure what he means, what the outer, um, the body, 
or feeling. Uh, taking it for the inner is sort of identifying with it. I am a being. I am my thoughts. I am my feelings. He's. I think he's saying that the the to true nature, body, mind, spirit is outer. True. To Paramatman, Atman is outer. <laughs> uh-huh. To the Logos, uh, the octave is outer. It's a dream, right? Dancing thoughts. So identifying with body, feeling, mind, knowing, uh, consciousness, oh, being, identifying I am that, I am feeling, I am knowing, I am being, I am Scott in a body with pure awareness, that's taking all of an outer as uh, all of that which is outer as an inner. Then, <laughs> what is in you to be what is in you take to be outside you. <clears throat> this is again um, can be understood as taking true nature um, as a goal. <laughs> uh, the one the, the, that what what is seeking a goal. The goal is seeking a goal. <laughs> true nature is seeking to return to true nature. Uh, true nature is the one is the true nature of the seeker. The seeker seeks liberation. Liberation is the true nature of the seeker. Hmm. So taking liberation uh, that way, one is seeking an apparent outer while it's an inner. <clears throat> taking what is in being taken as what's outside. Then what's outside taken to be in you. Uh, Mind-body-spirit complex is not in you. <laughs> it's an outer to the one that um, that created it. Finally, <clears throat> uh, and I think this is where he explains it, 132, the mind and feelings are external, but you take them to be intimate. So that's taking an outer to be an inner. The world you believe to be objective, while it's entirely project, the world you believe to be objective, while it's entirely a projection of your psyche. So that's taking an outer, um, taking an inner as an outer. You have to think out, you have to think yourself out of it. There's no other way. Well, there are other ways, but <clears throat> um, that's yana yoga. Yana yoga mark, the path of yana yoga, is to think yourself out of uh, maya and uh, moha. Or, yeah, I guess it's moha. No, lo, I don't know. Loba and moha. I guess ignorance. Avidya. <clears throat> you can yana your way out of avidya. Yes. But there are other ways out of avidya. Other than yana. So, but at some point, knowing must knowing is essential for sure. It's not just a matter of uh, path and fruit. You can have the fruit of multiple paths. The, the, the fruit of multiple paths is one fruit. So, and at the fruit, um, one knows all, one can know, one can speak as he speaks and know it better, know it as well and better than he. <clears throat> Not that I do, but I'm saying one, one, use, one can use mind very, very skillfully, um, knowing I is not mind, or, or mind is um, external, so-called. You know, mind and feelings are external, but you take them to be intimate. Well, in non-duality, there's no internal external. But you've got to separate to combine, or you've got to distinguish to realize unification, unity. That's the point here. That's a, that is a yana yoga technique. And that is a technique for reason, 
or logic too, which is separate to combine or distinguish and differentiate first to then realize um, the greater nonpolarity or unity. Um, that couldn't have been known without first differentiation. So first we differentiate that mind and feelings is not I. I am not the body, I am not the mind. I is distinct from body and mind. But, and, the, and, the, and in that first step of differentiating, it's because we, take, we identify with mind and feeling. We take them to be intimate means I identify. I am strong and I am weak and I am happy and I am sad. I am this grief. I am this rage. I am this joy. I am my, my, I, I, strengths and weaknesses, personality, mind, body, spirit, manifestation. That's taking the outer as an inner, the external as, um, as true nature mistakenly. Knowing that it's not, I is the one experiencing mind, feelings, body, mind, spirit, is a proper differentiation. But then later, <clears throat> that differentiation falls away too. And um, in such it, there's no two or one. That's the point. There, there's no two, there's no mistaken. So now we have a, a enmeshment. <laughs> We're in the metaphysical condition of enmeshment, where we don't realize um, the uh, emptiness of identity, the identifications of I am this body, I am this mind, I am my, I am my or this beingness. All that has to fall away. Um, meanwhile, eventually, the whole I endeavor ends too. Anyway. Um, you have to think yourself out of it. There is no other way. It is useful to think things through, yes. There may be other ways of knowing, um, arriving at knowing without thinking, yes. But people who can't think clearly are at a, when we, as we, to the degree we can't think things through clearly, we are at a disadvantage to ourselves. We end up, you know, staying in confusion longer than we have to. So, Thinking oneself out of things works very well. And in therapy, that's part of what it's all about, is learning to think in a logical, linear, rational, successful, effective way. Effective thinking. Effective thinking means to find answers and to keep finding answers when needed and to keep adjusting understanding or growing understanding as more facts come in or as we, uh, the light of awareness grows. There is no other way. So using mind well, you know, mind as the slayer of the real and mind as the revealer. I think that's in the Upanishads or <laughs> Blavatsky's uh, co-optation of it. So mind as the slayer of the real, mind as the revealer. Mind reveals how it deludes. And then mind um, ends the self-delusion uh, of vidya. And um, then, you know, profound wellness uh, comes or increasing wellness along the way. So that's it for today. One thirty-three. we start next time. I hope this was useful. It's wonderful teaching. And um, welcome to 2022. <laughs> We're still on planet Earth 
in this illusory dance of 3D mind-body-spirit, um, the best darn uh, illusion in the sector. I, I think, you know, this planet is an outlier. And um, this planet manifests the anti-logos as well as the logos ever has done. Um, so clap, clap, clap for the logoic manifestation of the uh, apparently anti-logos. Um, for the functions of uh, logoic uh, self-education, I guess. <clears throat> um, I'll just have some questions in my report to be filed fully later. In any case, we're all on the same team. Uh, please take good care of yourself. See you next time, and good night.